wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, fear not, we will be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness, because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors, Brooklinen. Blue Apron, and Gamefly. They bring the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who has never once retired at halftime, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. I think I did once. Like, I tried to join the show. I was driving. I got bad reception. And I was like, you know what? You, but I guess I didn't retire. I just, from that one episode. You know what? I quit. Uh, I'm done. Oh, it's not halftime yet, though. <laughs> Stick, pretty around. Baller, Stick around. Pretty baller move way to do it, though. I mean, you, you know you're <laughs> Are you done. baller or lame? <laughs> hey, when know. you know, you know. Uh, yes, and if you're a Buffalo Bill, you definitely know. Hey, <laughs> you should definitely stick around, Christian, because we have an awesome show. Tons of games to talk about. I mean, we're in it. This is it. This is the run toward the finish line, the run toward the finish line of the year. We're in the fall releases. We're in the Christmas season, I guess, somehow, <laughs> magically. It's already uh, summer movies. Uh. Yeah, yeah, it's all happening. So we got tons to talk about. Um, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for domestic leisure coverage because we have the editor in chief of US Gamer, Kat Bailey, joining us for the first time. Hey, Kat. Hey, everybody. To my knowledge, I'm nobody's nemesis except perhaps Green Bay Packers fans. Ah, whoa. Uh, what was that game? Uh, was that is that the tie that happened today? That was that crazy. That was, in fact, the tie that happened today. Uh, a lot happened. I was watching it at a bar, and then I was like, oh, well, okay, Laquan Treadwell, who was terrible, resulted in an interception. I think I will go home now. <laughs> oh, wait, we tied the game with 30 seconds remaining. How the heck did that happen? And then I watched us uh, shank the third field goal in a row. It was, uh, it was a trip. It was it's crazy. Trip. Two weeks into this NFL season and two ties. That's that's pretty weird. That is um, pretty weird, but I think that's just the way the NFL rolls right now. It's just it's so. indicative of how weird the NFL is these days. I need better kickers, I guess. <laughs> uh, we are not a, a football podcast. No. Uh, you, you lied to me. I feel misrepresented. <laughs> well, nice to, you know me, nice, guy, nice to meet you guys, but I, I got to go. Another person retiring at halftime. Here we go. Um, no, we got, we got games to talk about. Let's get right into it and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. This week, it's pretty much more like a Nintendo story of the week, because uh, it's like wall-to-wall Nintendo news is really all that's going on, but some juicy stuff nonetheless. And Kat, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? 
Well, I think my story of the week is, so I'm a host of an ax, uh, of a podcast called Axe of the Blood God. It's an RPG podcast. And one of the things that we talked about uh, was Final Fantasy 7, 9, and 10 are all coming to the Nintendo Switch, along with a whole mess of other RPGs, including Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles, uh, the Chocobo's Mystery Dungeon, uh, World of Final Fantasy. It, it, there's a whole, a whole lot of them, but there's one that's missing, Jeff. There's one that's missing, and it's, is it it's Final really bugging us Final Fantasy fans. <laughs> Yeah, the best one. The best Final <laughs> Fantasy is missing. Why do you think that is? Well, there are there are a lot of reasons, but what it comes down to is so okay, I know that Final Fantasy VIII is not the best game in the series, but it is number one in my heart. It is the mm-hmm. one that I have the fondest memories of. I like I, I like the world. It has this it's this bright, vibrant, futuristic, strange world that I have never really seen in another Final Fantasy game or really any other game in general. Uh you go to the moon at one point and it rains down monsters because there are sorceresses who are, be- who are taking people over. Like there are a lot of interesting systems going on after final fantasy seven, which was this lovely mainstream RPG square Enix decided to go ahead and make this bizarro gonzo, crazy <laughs> off the wall, experimental RPG. And I appreciate that. And I would love, I would like to get more love. So I hope that it so eventually you- makes it to the switch. Do you think it's too bizarre and gonzo for modern audiences? Or do you think that it's just too special and they're saving it for its own sort of prestige release? I think there are a few reasons. Uh, reason number one was it's always been a little bit of a, a, a dark horse in the series because, um, well, black sheep, I suppose, because because it was so bizarro and gonzo and crazy, people didn't really get it when it first came out. And as a, such, people don't have the same nostalgia for it that they do Final Fantasy VII and IX. And the other reason is it has, unlike Final Fantasy VII and IX, which have both received various ports to the PlayStation 4, PC, etc., the Final Fantasy VIII has, to my knowledge, only been ported. There's the PlayStation version, which is on the Vita store, and a PC version that's on Steam. And it's not as easy to get onto the Switch as 7 and 9. So hmm. that is probably why they are waiting, holding off on this one. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm certainly not the Final Fantasy aficionado you are, but uh, I'm excited to see Final Fantasy X make the list because 10 and 10 yes. 2 are some of my favorites. Um, are you excited about 7, 9, and 10? Are you going to replay them? What, what version of them are you hoping to see? What do you make of this? Wow, big questions. Uh, <laughs> so I haven't played Final Fantasy VII since probably 2001 or so. So I've I've come back to it a couple times trying to play through it again. And I've always gotten kind of hung up in the opening hours. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe this is the time. Maybe it's time to go back and play some Final Fantasy VII and see how I feel about it. Uh, to my knowledge, there's a fast-forward mechanic in Final Fantasy VII uh, for the PS4, and if that's the version that they're putting on the Switch, then I can play through it in half the time. So that would make it a lot easier. <laughs> it's like people listening to podcasts at, at, at 40% faster speed. Which I never really understood. How can you possibly do that? I, I, I actually got a headache from that. But playing through an RPG at high speed... Not as bad. So, <laughs> Christian, um, I don't think you're exactly a Final Fantasy freak uh, fan. F- you know, I don't think that's it's been one of the series that you've loved over time. Is that right? That is <laughs> cool. <laughs> that's for the forty percent faster people. You're yeah, just I thought uh, I'd yeah. get a taste of what my, I sound like. Yeah, I I 
pop into many of them and usually bounce off quickly. And then people are like, no, 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 no. You need to understand two hours in, it gets good or 10 hours in or 40 hours in, it gets good. And for whatever reason, I was a um, Dragon Quest kid uh, when I was younger. And then I started, I, I moved over to the Western RPG before I kind of bounced off of those, even as every action game had enough RPG element in it to satiate me without needing to play a full RPG where it's like my Tomb Raider I'm crafting and leveling up. That's enough. That's enough for me. But Christian, you have fallen madly deeply in love with your switch and, and anything that's on switch, you fall madly deeply in love with. So are you going to be a final fantasy player now? No, that doesn't hold true to retro games. Re-releases don't necessarily... Uh, Well, I guess I should rephrase. Re-releases of games... Says the guy who bought Donkey Kong (laughs) Tropical Freeze for the eighth time. Second. Yes, uh, you stop pointing out my hypocrisy, and (laughs) I I don't think these will pull me in. I I would love to be proven wrong, because I know that... I feel like it's... I don't know. You can pick your poison, right? Uh, maybe five through 12. I feel like you can find anybody to argue that that's their favorite Final Fantasy. So maybe seven, uh, nine or 10 will catch for me on the Switch, but I, I don't think so. Yeah, I totally forgot that Final Fantasy XII was also coming on the Switch. Like, all the Final Fantasies that are coming on the Switch, except eight, of course. And, and so Final Fantasy XII. Pocket Edition, right? Uh, Final Fantasy 15 Pocket Edition, oh, yes, 15, the one yeah. that was on mobile. Uh, Final Fantasy twelve is a really good, interesting RPG in its own right. Kind of a kind of a black sheep in the same way yeah. as Final Fantasy VIII for various reasons. So I replayed it last year when it came out in the remastered version, so I'm really excited to have that. What I'm really hoping, though, is I am hoping that they put 1 through 6 on the Switch as well, and then pretty much we'll have all of the ones that matter except for 13 and its games and I guess the full version of 15. So that, that I, I would love to play Final Fantasy VI on the Switch. That'd be really nice. Yeah, the entire compendium. That'd be cool. Um, lots of Nintendo news, as we mentioned. It was a Nintendo Direct that was delayed because of the earthquake in Japan. And um, it, this was chock full of interesting news. Christian, what is your story of the week? I assume it's from the same Direct. Yeah, it was Luigi Mansion, Luigi's Mansion 3. That made my heart go pitter-patter. I, I mean, we knew that Luigi's Mansion was getting a port to the 3ds and we they did a sequel that was a mobile game as well but this is the first time it's coming back to consoles i think since the gamecube since gamecube launch and it's a franchise i've always really liked i I think i mentioned it a couple of weeks ago i even sat and played the arcade version of it with my daughters at dave and buster's near my house um i it's it's such a silly kind of premise and like the world of mario where it's like people have come up with reasons for why they play tennis or race carts or whatever but then also occasionally luigi and his doctor vacuum friend investigate haunted houses that clearly if you've played any of these games you know luigi does not want to be there (laughs) these guys you know they have eclectic uh, weekends you know sometimes they're off playing tennis other times (laughs) they're competing in the olympics against their will to yeah, uh, defeat times. haunted ghosts. Um, yeah. but the first game that established Luigi as a coward, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. the joke of Luigi, right? Kind of. Yeah, he really there. became a joke starting with this game for sure. Yeah, he really became a joke the day he strapped that vacuum cleaner to his back and wandered into that haunted house. Yeah, but Mario had to put I, a water jet on his back, and no one made fun of him. That's true. He's Mario, though. Uh, the thing I find fascinating is. 
back when Luigi's Mansion originally came out on the GameCube, people were really down on it because it wasn't a traditional Mario game. And people were like, I mean, look at this. This is a launch game. This is the game you are launching with is this weird spinoff. But now people have really come around to it. And like, I would say that Luigi's Mansion is legitimately beloved. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. I love it, and I think as a launch game too, it, it blew my mind with the lighting that it that it did, and, and what it showcased what the GameCube could do in those cartoony graphics. And I think it holds up really well. I was excited for the 3DS port, but I, I'm less excited now that I know a full fledged sequel is going to be coming out. Probably not till 2019, but I love the franchise. It's it's incredible. Yeah, it almost uh, overshadowed the 3DS port, which is coming out on October 12th. Uh, this in the direct, uh, you know, it. it surprising that yeah we got this luigi's mansion port coming up for 3ds but don't worry about that there's actually a switch game coming in 2019 supposedly so in fairness everything is overshadowing the 3ds these days i I don't mean to hate on the 3ds but uh, perhaps its day has come and gone it's a it's interesting how much emphasis they have continued to put on it when they're directs and yeah i I don't i don't feel like that system is really uh still deserving of that but maybe i'm in a minority there i don't know there are plenty of people um, looking for budget gaming with a ton of games, and the 3DS does have a lot of fantastic uh, entries. So yeah. if they figure that they can squeeze a little more uh, juice out of that stone, as it were. Mixing mm-hmm. my metaphor, sorry. No, indeed. Um, boy, there's like you guys left the the big story just sitting there for me, but I'm not even going to pick it either. My story of the week is another uh, sort of deeper story from the uh, from the Nintendo Direct, which is... Asmodee Digital is bringing board games to Switch, and quite a number of them, in fact. Um, the sort of big marquee games, Settlers of Catan, Carcassonne, Pandemic, and Munchkin, even, uh, will be coming. And I think Asmodee Digital has been doing just a stellar job of converting tabletop experiences into digital experiences. There's a number of these games already available on Steam and on mobile. And I think Switch is a great great platform to, to play these things. There'll be uh, local multiplayer, sort of pass and play multiplayer options and single player options. So you can play against AI, which I find to be really fun ways to learn these games, to practice these games, to kind of, you know, do some strategies when you can't get a group of people to come over to your house and play the tabletop version. And the graphics tend to be a really evocative of the tabletop experience. The they, they do a, a really loving job with these. Um, the Lord of the Rings living card game is coming to Switch as well. Um, it, it feels like a big initiative that they'll have a lot of a, they have a very deep bench at Asmodee Digital. And if these do well, I'm sure we'll see lots more of them. So I'm excited about this. Um, Kat, are you a board gamer at all? I do play board games. I don't play that. I'm not as hardcore as some of the people I know. I know people who are really, really hardcore into board games. I will say this. I am not a huge fan of the Switch's touch interface. And I found that games that kind of are reliant upon it don't translate as well. I I think a case in point is maybe Darkest Dungeon, for example. It's Mm. okay, but the UI in that is really troublesome. And when I saw that Civ Six and City Skylines were coming out for the Switch, I was my excitement was immediately tempered by the fact that I don't know. So I could see that also being kind of the case with the board game. Interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Um, it's it's interesting to me that they finally you know included multi touch on the Switch, and they tend to, Nintendo themselves tends to ignore it. 
Um, there are titles that you would think maybe they would even support some some touch, and they haven't really made that a big part of of what their first party titles support. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Which is funny because Nintendo is one of the early leaders of touch interfaces in uh, the the handheld space. They beat Sony to it by an entire generation. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then you know we're stuck with that sort of single touch. Um, on the Wii U, which I think held it back, but was used to great effect with things like Mario Maker. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see uh, how these how these fare. But I, I'm hopeful that it expands the you know these great board games into a, a wider audience on Switch. Um, speaking of Mario's first part, oh, Christian, did you want to weigh in on that? No, I, I think you guys covered it pretty well. Cool. Uh, speaking of Mario's, uh, Mario's. <laughs> Speaking of Nintendo's first party, the I think the biggest, the mic drop moment, the big surprise reveal of the Nintendo Direct was that Animal Crossing is officially coming to Switch. They made a big deal about uh, an Animal Crossing character coming to Super Smash Brothers and or Smash Brothers Ultimate, and um, that seemed like the extent of the Animal Crossing news. And then we got a fun little vignette of Tom Nook talking directly to the camera and a logo of Animal Crossing for Switch coming in 2019. We don't really know anything else about it, but uh, it's something certainly everybody, well, everybody, lots of people have been clamoring for for a while. Kat, are you a, an Animal Crossing lover? I am not an Animal Crossing lover, mostly because I am not huge into collecting things and gathering things. I do, however, know that a lot of people really legitimately love Animal Crossing. And to be perfectly honest, it... It warms my heart to see those villages, to see those characters. As soon as Animal Crossing was announced, I went back to an old comic and got a little teary-eyed at Isabel saying how much she missed the villager as they wandered off to go play, uh, to become a Pokemon master in Kalos. And I thought, oh, yeah, there, there's a real heart to this series. Yeah. And obviously it is going to be just absolutely perfect for the Nintendo Switch. It's it's going to be a monster. And I wrote right after that announcement, I was like, oh my God, 2019 is just going to be, can't, has the potential to be absolutely monstrous for the Nintendo Switch. Because between Animal Crossing and Fire Emblem, maybe Metroid, potentially mm. Bayonetta 3... I, I'm just looking at this list of Pokemon? potential games. Don't forget Pokemon. I mean, yeah. this little game called Pokemon. I, I'm just looking at this list of games that are from first party, and I'm thinking, wow. I mean, yeah, maybe it's not a Zelda, but I would say Pokemon's pretty freaking high up there, right? And so is Animal yeah. Crossing. I would and say so Animal is Crossing is a first-tier anim- uh, Nintendo property at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if if Nintendo has been doing their sort of one big game a year thing, uh, I'll be interested to see which of these they ascend to that position, or maybe they'll be, you know, be more, uh, more multi multi game. Well, they've been and- more prolific of late. They've been putting out mm. quite a few more games, and I think they've been really helped by how much they've been pushing like intelligent systems, Monolith Soft with Xenoblade and Fire Emblem, uh, respectively. Their mobile output has increased. Uh, it seems we're we're a little we're a long way from back in the Wii when you know you'd only get one big Nintendo game a year, and I think that has really benefited the, the Switch so far. Christian, what's your take on Animal Crossing for Switch? I, I don't imagine you've been a big Animal Crossing guy, but oh, well, you imagine wrong, my friend. Oh my That's god, so? the, the Animal Crossing fan is among us. 
<laughs> I think we talked about it on the show, but I bought the mic for the Wii for Animal Crossing, and my brother-in-law had it, and we had our little towns. We played. My wife was super into it on DS hmm. until, you know, I forget what happened. Like, I took the console for a while or something like that, and then Roaches took over her town because I was, you know, playing, like, one of the Zeldas that had the console for a while. And uh, she was like, I don't want to kill all these roaches. But we both got into Animal Crossing hardcore back then. I don't remember this at all. I, I, I'm surprised, but I'm happy to hear it. Yeah, and I don't know if this... It was a special time where I guess there probably were millions of games back then also, but it's like Animal Crossing, I think, to me... Maybe this will work really well on the Switch because I think, to me, it, it works best as almost a... um a background game it's it's like so maybe maybe it is going to work really well that way like the wii version worked because we had the mic and we'd set up like basically play dates <laughs> with in-laws and basically hang out and de- walk around and decorate villages um but i feel like on the switch i'm curious if there are already enough other games that i can kind of bounce to that i it won't keep my attention the same way or uh conversely it will be exactly that and i'll be like get frustrated with fortnite or whatever I'm playing and then just go decorate for a little bit and collect some things and slowly but steadily pay off my virtual mortgage uh, much slower than I pay off my real mortgage, (laughs) but (laughs) try my best to build my house. I think there's something Zen like to it of just it's quaint, it's cheery, but also like an undercurrent of darkness (laughs) at times, like what's really happening in the village. Some of the letters, there's like a dark sense of humor to the series. So I'm excited for it. I don't know if it will be, you know, pre-order day one get, but I, I imagine it will end up on my system at some point. Well, yeah, my since... fondest... Go ahead. Uh, my fondest memory of Animal Crossing is I used to live in Japan, and in New Year's 2007, uh, standing and watching somebody have Animal Crossing DS open, and they were their characters were all watching the fireworks as we were hmm. all standing at the Meiji Jingu Shrine waiting for the New Year to begin, and... Uh, Animal Crossing just has those wonderful little moments to it. Indeed, yeah, it's a it's a wholesome, sweet game. Uh, never, one I never really got into, but Christian, if if as the biggest Animal Crossing fan among us, what do you want this version to have? Is it enough to just be Animal Crossing on Switch, or is there something else that it should be or should strive to be? I'd like to see them evolve their the network capabilities that were introduced in the Wii version. I think playing with friends and, you know, I'm a little skeptical of it's not out yet, so maybe it will be great, but their online service and what that can bring to it. But I think that brings a lot to the game and it's, you know, it's collecting and sharing and showing off. So anything the console can do to aid in that, having people visit your town and help you collect and build and show off. Like, I think to me, the like uh, to describe it to quote-unquote gamers it's all the fun of a rpg without the fighting like you get to do all you're you're doing your town building the fighting is the fun part for some people (laughs) for some people it is for other people they just want to live in the world and it's all the fun of an rpg without any of the fun (laughs) see i see i think sometimes combat can be rote and tiresome and this you get to skip that and you get to go and still go collect all the things and set them up just right. And it, there's, you know, a, an order to your virtual life that you're not able to have in your real life. And the Animal Crossing version of it is is uh, is so well-crafted. So I think better network features would be great. And then more items. They re- I, I'd love to see the expanded collection of in-game games. Um, I'd like to see 
them use some of the fun stuff that the console can do for some of the mini games. Like if the fishing, um, you know, maybe took from Labo's fishing or something like that. Like there's so <laughs> much inventiveness in the, the way the system can be used. And they're showing that with Mario Party uh, coming out that if they do some of that stuff in Animal Crossing, I think it could be really, really quirky and cool. It's funny to me that Nintendo is in this weird place of being both the company that takes franchises in wildly new directions. You know, think Mario Odyssey and Zelda Breath of the Wild. They, unlike anybody else, really, they can reinvent and re-examine successful franchises for something new. And at the same time, they also are the place where there are numerous... Uh, franchises that people just want on the new system, you know, like like the Mario Karts and and Super Smash Brothers and Animal Crossings of the world, where it's like you don't need to reinvent it; just put it on this new system, and we'll be very happy. <laughs> so I, I don't know; it kind of feels like a dichotomy there. I, I feel like you're doing a little bit of a disservice to Mario Kart and Smash in particular, there, where hardcore players of those franchises certainly do have their favorites. Uh, and there are differences in, you know, snaking or item management or in smash, um, sure. float details. Airtime. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Granular yeah, yeah. details. But I don't, I don't feel like that uh, the selling point of a new, uh, Mario Kart isn't that, oh my God, there's now a new CC of motor or there's this track is slightly different. It's, Hey, it's on this system now. <laughs> That's because they are platform games that have large competitive communities, uh, Mario Kart and Smash Brothers in particular. Uh, Nintendo's actually gotten a lot better about reinventing themselves, especially recently. I mean, look at what they did with Zelda with Breath of the Wild. Uh, th- that was just an incredible reinvention of a venerable franchise. It seems that Nintendo is really good at when they sense the moment is right to just kind of play around, they'll do that. But if they sense that something is becoming stale, they will come out and do kind of a wholesale reinvention or introduce elements that really freshen up and liven it up. And they understand how to keep the spirit of the, of that game intact while also pleasing the hardcore fans. It's not an easy thing to do, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. A couple of other news notes from the Nintendo direct that I wanted to get your opinions on. Uh, Kat, you are our, our RPG expert this week for sure. Um, a new RPG has been announced from Game Freak. This is the developer of the Pokemon games. And uh, it's called, or at least the working title so far, is, is Town. Not much uh, revealed about it, but uh, were you excited by what you saw? Yeah, I was very excited about what I saw. Uh, people know Game Freak as those people who make Ninten- uh, Pokemon. And people tend perhaps wrongly see Pokemon as this kind of stale, maybe old-fashioned type RPG that with very old mechanics. Um, but when Game Freak decides to make a different game, they often do really interesting things with it. One of my absolute favorite games on the 3DS, and I encourage everybody to check it out, it's very cheap over on the eShop, is Pocket Card Jockey. And it is just this wonderful, bizarre uh a combination of solitaire and horse racing. And it begins with you dying. Like the first (laughs) thing that happens is you get thrown off your horse and trampled and you're dead and you go up to heaven and God asks you, what do you want to do? And you say, I want to, I want to win the Kentucky Derby. And they're like, okay, what are you good at? Are you good at horse racing? Well, heck no. Okay. What are you good at? Well, I'm really good at solitaire. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so it has this 
bizarre solitaire and horse racing mixture, and the game acknowledges that your character is actually playing solitaire. But the thing is, it works so well. You're playing speed solitaire. The races are really addictive. It's actually pretty true to the sport of horse racing. As someone who plays a lot of sports games, I was really stunned at what a comprehensive sports sim it actually was. And I wish games like Madden and FIFA would actually borrow some from it. So I have a lot of faith in Game Freak's ability to make really good games. And I strongly believe that whatever this game town is, is going to be excellent. Just what I saw, the graphics looked good. Uh, it looks like a turn-based RPG, which is totally in my wheelhouse. It has just this interesting-looking vibe to it. And yeah. I cannot wait to check it out. Uh, yeah, it's a really interesting description, too. It's called town, at least for the moment. They say working title. But the idea is that it's an RPG that takes place in one single town, uh, which I find to be a really clever concept. It feels like there can be so much more density and richness inside a single town if that's the entire game. Uh, and I'm I'm curious to see what they do with it. I also am a huge fan of turn-based uh, combat. Yeah, they should do that uh, with should also. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one town. Yeah. Well, that's my my pitch for a new Pokemon game is to make the player the gym leader. And then you kind of Mm -hmm. fix it up like Animal Crossing. So it would be Animal Crossing, but fun. That's pretty cool. So there's like a... uh... Whoa, whoa, sorry. I just lost Cat. I think she died. She's probably (laughs) playing Solitaire now in heaven or something, but... No, I like that idea. Uh, it's it's uh, as if there is uh, well, first of all, you add fighting to fo- to yeah. uh, Animal Crossing, so that's good. Uh, it's it's got this like um, uh, sort of I don't know, like a Sim City style, uh, create an area and fix up an area and do cool things. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you're just yeah, fixing up the town, you're gathering stuff. People like, are coming in and challenging you, and the whole thing with being a gym leader in Pokemon is gym leaders are kind of these community leaders. Uh, Pokemon has a very strange world and a very strange government. And so uh, <laughs> you would get to know all these people in your town and you would be their protector. And I don't know why Game Freak <laughs> hasn't made this game yet. That's pretty interesting. Maybe this is maybe that's what town maybe is. This is, this is a working title because it's Pokemon Town. <laughs> I mean um, by the way, the the game that Kat mentioned uh, is Pocket Card Jockey. I just wanted to repeat the title because I'm sure people will be uh, looking it up. Um another what's that? I'm sorry, I thought somebody said something. Uh, Another uh, bit of news that I want to get particularly your input on, Christian, is this news that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is coming to Switch if you live in Japan, so not for us, but the way they're bringing it to Switch is the same way they brought Resident Evil 7 to Switch in Japan. That is, it is a, quote, cloud edition. It is streamed. So we've seen all of these streaming services both announced and sort of in you know nascent forms. Uh, it seems to be the next wave of what a lot of consoles are coming to, the, the rumors about the next Xbox being a cloud-based system where you're streaming games. Uh, it seems to be you know what's on the horizon. Well, it looks like the Switch is already able to do that at least with these titles. And it is also an interesting way to put a game that seems to be a little more... What what's the word? Uh, power hungry than the than the Switch can can support. Assassin's Creed maybe would have a hard time living on the Switch as a uh, you know as a native game, but you can stream it because it can be housed on servers that are more powerful than the handheld Switch. 
Christian, tell me what you think about this. Would you want it here in America? What do you make of all this news? Yeah, so my gut was like, oh, I don't know. This isn't the best way. I remember when Resident Evil came out too, and I forget their exact pricing structure. I think it was maybe like 20 bucks for six months rental, I think. I don't remember. For Resident Evil, for Assassin's Creed, it looks like it's you can either buy it outright or it's like six bucks a month or something like that. I forget. It's like monthly or you can buy it and here's the price. Um, and my gut was like, I don't know, that feels weird to buy a thing that I'm just streaming and I don't really have access to whenever I want. Um, and I think that's just because it's a single player game and maybe because it's like this air quote, you know, triple a $60 game. Cause I had no problem spending money on rocket league on switch, which it's not streaming the game, but I need to be online to play it's not as if i can be on an airplane and be like yeah now time to grind through some rocket league or whatever right like there are plenty of games that um either the the thing i like about the game and play the most or uh the requirement of the game is online only um so i don't mind using my switch knowing that it needs to be tethered to internet in some form or fashion that's not a deal breaker for me um, so I feel like uh, I'm warming on the idea, and I'm not even sure exactly what my initial hesitancy was. I think if latency is good, and it's a way that, you know, playing the game plays as smoothly as it would if it were on my console, I'm not sure what I'd pick. Um, that, like let's say Assassin's Creed streamed, looks um, as good as possible, right, when, when played that way, latency is not an issue, versus what Bethesda has been doing, where they release the 30 frames per second, graphically inferior version of a game, but still pretty dang impressive on Switch um, for Doom and... Um, Wolfenstein. Wolfenstein, yeah. And, and I'm not sure what the ideal situation is, but I'm definitely warming to this idea. And if I were in Japan, I'd certainly try it for whatever that monthly rental is, just out of curiosity. It's fascinating to me. Well, evidently the price structure is that you can buy a two-year access for what is a, the equivalent of 75 bucks, uh, 8,400 yen, uh, or you can pay a daily rate. Oh, it's daily. Uh, okay. Uh, but I don't know if you pay for it daily, but it sounds, unless it's listed here as having a daily rate of 730 yen, which works out to about 650. So $6.50, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds like a lot of money for one day of access to a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which like, how much are you going to get done in a day? But maybe if you really are committed, have the day off and just go for it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Kat, what do you think about this? I think that is an interesting solution uh, to the fact that the Nintendo Switch is just invariably going to become, as each year passes, it's going to struggle harder and harder to get these massive AAA games. Now, the thing with the Nintendo Switch is that when I play my Nintendo Switch, I'm playing Nintendo games, I'm playing kind of quirkier, more interesting games, the AA games of... uh, And I'm also playing indies. I'm playing a lot of indies that are coming from Steam. Uh, The Switch has kind of become my retro slash indie kind of Steam type platform. So I don't necessarily care if Assassin's Creed Odyssey is coming out on the Switch because I'm going to buy it on the PS4. I have a 4K TV. That is what I'm going to play it on. I am not going to play a compromised version on my Nintendo Switch. That said, not everybody has a 4K TV with a PS4 Pro. And there are plenty of people who maybe only have a Nintendo Switch and would love to be able to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And this is an interesting solution to that problem. And in this regard, I think Nintendo is being extremely forward-thinking 
because I think that game streaming is only going to become bigger as years uh, pass. It's certainly going to be a thing next generation as different companies are rolling it out. And in that regard, Nintendo's be ahead of the curve. And if anything, I'm surprised that they're starting with Japan <laughs> because Japan, <laughs> don't get me wrong, Japan has really phenomenal internet infrastructure, but traditionally they've been somewhat behind in terms of online offerings and so it's interesting to me that they are so far ahead of the curve in this particular area, but it, it's going to be interesting to see what uh, how this all plays out. Yeah, I mean, are you um, are you less likely to play a game like this on the Switch simply be? I mean, you mentioned it because you have the 4K TV, but is it the game type that you wouldn't want to play on, on the Switch, or is it just because visually it doesn't give you the impact that a big AAA game like this would on a big TV? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it just feels like a strange fit for the Nintendo Switch because that is not how I think of it. I, I think of it as these games that you might term as evergreen, right? Mm. In, instead of being like these massive AAA experiences that rely on being the c- most cutting edge of graphics and the biggest of content, mm. uh, Switch games are... They're the kind of games that could play on a wide variety of platforms and aren't, are, aren't as reliant on graphics. And so it's strange to me to play a game that is so graphically intensive on the Switch. But that's just my personal preference. No, I think that's really cool. And I think that it speaks to the identity that Nintendo has managed to craft for the Switch. I, I think that's really an interesting place for it to live. And I, I share that sentiment. I, I have the same feeling about my Switch. Like there are games that feel like Switch games. And I don't remember that being the case in the last couple of generations. I mean, you have things that feel like Wii games simply because there are so few things on, on Wii and Wii U that were, they were very Nintendo-like. But I feel like the, even the third-party games, there's, there's games that feel like third-party Switch games, that they should be on Switch. You know, you have a, a Dead Cells that comes out. It's like, yeah, that should be on the Switch. And I think that's kind of a neat thing that has that has grown from from that platform. Yeah, it turns out Nintendo has just been waiting for indie games to be able to fill in all the content <laughs> gaps from over the years. Yeah, and we all we all clamored for this to happen on Vita, and it never did. And it's it's cool that Nintendo manifested that that dream. <laughs> well, the Vita was kind of DOA by the time it finally started to get real indie support. Yeah, which was too bad. Whereas the Switch just exploded out of the gate. So, and of course, we had some really great uh, case studies of extremely successful indies right from the start, like Stardew Valley. So, right. of course, indie developers are just clamoring to get their game on this thing. And so, as a result, we're getting a friggin' deluge of games. Yeah, it's great. All right, speaking of a deluge of games, we have a lot of games to talk about in our next segment. But first, I have to thank our first sponsor, which is Brooklinen. Brooklinen, oh, the... The sheets that I sleep on every night uh, are Brooklyn and sheets. I am so happy <laughs> that that is the case. I have two kids and they hate my sleep for some reason. They don't want me to have it. They steal it from me. Um, but I am so grateful that the precious few hours I do get to sleep are on my Brooklyn and sheets because they are so soft. They are so comfortable and they make me so happy when I slip into bed uh, and close my eyes and try to blot out the screaming that is inevitably going to start from the adjacent rooms. Be like me. Uh, if you if you are able to have even longer sleep, oh, why not make it luxurious? Why not make it great? 
Brooklyn is the fastest growing betting brand in the world with over 20,000 five, excuse me, 20,000 five-star reviews. Uh, it is, it's like sleeping on the fanciest hotel sheets, <laughs> but I get it every single night. Uh, their mission, by the way, was to create five-star hotel quality sheets for people's everyday life. And their mission was to do it at a not exorbitant cost. And the way they do it is by doing it online. So they don't have to, you know, they can cut out the middleman. They can do it all online. And it's great. Uh, these, the, this company is based in Brooklyn. Uh, they call themselves not your typical New Yorkers. <laughs> they live in the city that never sleeps, and yet they're committed to giving people the best sleep ever. That's pretty funny. Um, these these sheets not only feel awesome, they look great. My wife picked out our sheets. They're, they're really stylish. They're kind of gray and white striped, but they have a whole variety of looks for you to choose from. They're the best, most comfortable sheets I have ever slept on. That is the absolute truth. <laughs> no joke there. And Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for listeners of DLC. Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code DLC at Brooklinen.com. And Brooklinen is so sure that you'll love your new sheets that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee. And not only that, but a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get $20 off and free shipping is to use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code DLC. Brooklinen. These really are the best sheets ever. Oh, what a what an awesome week of games to talk about. But Kat, I have to admit, uh, as much as I was excited to have you here, the real reason that you are here is because I got uh, several listeners clamoring at me to talk about Dragon Quest Eleven, and Christian and I are unqualified to, to do that. Um, several people suggested you for the job. I thought that was great, and I'm so glad you're here. So let's dig into Dragon Quest Eleven and uh, tell me your thoughts about the game. I know that you've been playing it. Dragon Quest Eleven interesting case right because this this is the the franchise's kind of return to consoles after a very long break uh, dragon quest 9 came out on the nintendo ds and it was kind of a departure and then dragon quest 10 was an mmorpg so dragon quest 11 was pretty anticipated because it was a chance for it. it's going to be on modern consoles it's going to have really good graphics but it's going to have the kind of traditional term based a wonderful storytelling that Dragon Quest was going to be known for. And sure enough, that's exactly what Dragon Quest Eleven is. Dragon Quest Eleven is a wonderful throwback to classic RPGs of the past. Uh, for Dragon Quest fans, it is uh, just a real trip down memory lane. There are tons of references. I, I would compare it to, say, Final Fantasy IX in terms of all of the ways that it sprinkles in references to previous games and it'll be things like little snatches of music here or little bits of or familiar enemies there or familiar story beats here and so it's a way to kind of experience the full breadth of dragon quest um the thing that the, the dragon quest has traditionally offered a few things uh in my mind first of all it's not like other rpgs other rpgs that they tend to skew really kind of traditionally anime like think final fantasy it's very anime whereas mm. dragon quest is whimsical it's almost like a fairy tale but it can be very dark and in fact dragon quest 11 does get 
quite dark without getting very spoilerific. So uh, you'll always think that it's really lightweight until you hit that emotional moment that is just a punch in the stomach and Hmm. you just have to sit back. If you ever want to play a, just one of my favorite RPGs of all time, we're doing a, over on my podcast, Axe of the Blood God, they're doing, we're doing a top 25 RPG countdown at the moment. And uh, I I think I'm just going to, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a spoiler. Dragon Quest V is on this top 25 RPG countdown. Dragon Hmm. Quest V is just a wonderful, wonderful example of storytelling that takes place over the course of something like 25 in-game years. You see your character Hmm. grow up, they get a family, they have kids, and there's just an emotional core to Dragon Quest that really resonates with me. And I, and I think that it continues to be the case with Dragon Quest XI. Um, from a gameplay standpoint, it is traditional turn-based game, but I don't think that's a bad thing. People refer to that as dated, but I don't think that's dated. I, I think it's just a different flavor of game because it's very tactical. It's very strategic. You have to think about the way that you approach enemies. And I think that's kind of a, that's the kind of gameplay that really holds up. And Dragon Quest battle system they really perfected it many many years ago and as far as i'm concerned it's still excellent today so dragon quest 11 is classical dragon quest but with a beautiful hd shine the only thing that i think that i would i I, i'm feeling a little down on is the soundtrack unfortunately it's kind of meaty uh it's it doesn't have a lot of variety to it that that was a bit of a letdown but the rest of the game is aces in my opinion that's awesome. I am um, a little ashamed to say I've never played a Dragon Quest uh, all, all the well, way through. Well, you and most Americans, unfortunately, because yeah, Dragon played... Quest has a bit of a checkered history here. You did it, you did it, Dragon Warrior, back on the NES. I remember I got, I bought it sight unseen. I mean, I didn't know much about the game, but it was bundled with the strategy guide, and mm-hmm. that box art was just incredible. And that's what got me hooked way back when. I, I remember it wasn't a huge, huge, huge hit in america but that artwork just it was like this huge guide i was like oh my god as at toys r us i was like i need that and then it like the game was on the back and i was like oh cool <laughs> i guess i'll get this also <laughs> no, uh, I, it was awesome I, it's funny that you say that i i don't really have a memory of that that far back what i do remember of dragon quest is that the <laughs> it's funny you say that because the, i feel like the art has always been a bit of a turnoff for me and cat kind of touched on this a little bit but the the like the slime iconography and the sort of goofy it seems a little kitty right the the art style uh had never really grabbed me it never felt like a game that i wanted to leap into but i know people speak highly of it and i just which is funny because it's done by okira toriyama who did dragon ball and of course dragon ball is having a little bit of a moment at the moment thanks to dragon ball fighters a giant bomb doing their deep dive into dragon ball and same artist I think there was a. I think today in the NFL there was somebody who did a touchdown celebration of Naruto, which uh, which is pretty funny. Um, Athletes are so, yeah. nerds now, and I love it. It's amazing, right? Isn't it crazy? Um, yeah. Uh, so here's my question to you about uh, with that precedent for me: uh, Is Dragon Quest Eleven a jumping on point for the series? Is is it? It's hard, you know. People see an Eleven next to a thing, and it's very intimidating. Um, do you think that you could just jump into an, to Dragon Quest XI having not played any of the others? Oh, yeah. Well, uh, first of all, they're standalone games, so they all have their own self-contained story, a little like Final Fantasy, right? Uh, so in, that in itself makes it possible to pick up pretty much any one of them. 
Uh, it moves at a reasonably fast clip uh, by the standards of the series. I, I think that people who aren't used to JRPG pacing might find it a smidge slow, but I th- pretty much from the beginning, you're getting into fighting. It, it does not take long for it to get into the field. It doesn't dwell too much on storytelling right from the start, even though the story is relatively meaty. Uh, and it's meant it, it was designed with the intention of bringing in new fans in Japan, even. So, in that respect, I would say that it is a great jumping off point for newcomers to the series. The thing that's made me a little bit sad is that Dragon Quest XI really came at kind of a bad time. And unfortunately, I think Square Enix did it a bit of a disservice by releasing it in September because. It was released the same week as Spider-Man. And as you might expect, it's been very much drowned out by outlets who are scrambling to cover Spider-Man and Destiny. And even though it has its own audience, like mainstream outlets are having a hard time devoting the resources that it deserves. And I think that if you wanted what Dragon Quest XI could have been, maybe look toward Octopath Traveler, which came out on the Switch, came out during a dead period and got tons of headlines tons of notice from everybody and it's just a shame that that didn't happen dq11 it's funny that you brought that up because i was going to make the comparison to octopath because i feel like that game really broke broke out and i think it was one of those games that people that had always been curious about these kinds of games could leap onto it was a new ip and it felt i think like a throwback but a very modern take does dragon quest 11 have that feel or does it does it feel more traditional oh it's very traditional and it its main thing is that it's it's very beautiful Uh, the 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 monsters in particular are are really well done and really gorgeous and I, i would say that looking at octopath traveler it actually is also a fairly large throwback in its own way it's very much a saga game but with a kind of a modern sheen right and I think that Octopath and Dragon Quest XI has shown that these traditional JRPGs can hold up. What I am seeing, what I am detecting is when I write about it on my own site, a lot of people are saying, yeah, we're really excited about DQ11, but it's not a game that I want to play on my TV. It's a game I want to play on my Switch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a Switch version was announced, but it's been delayed repeatedly. It sounds like they're having some techni- technical issues getting it on there. And I really hope that they manage to make it work because I think that it's kind of the perfect Switch game. And I suspect that a lot of people are waiting for it. And I think that's when it's going to get its second wind. Christian, you mentioned that you were always a Dragon Quest guy back in back in the day. Um, do you have any desire for this? Or It seems like a game that you would probably wait for Switch on as well. Yeah, if I were to jump in, I would definitely wait for a Switch version of it. I think for me, unfortunately, my moth to a flame tendencies, I have a hard time staying focused through uh, JRPGs like this. I know Octopath I was very, very interested in for, you know, two weeks. And then I was like, mm-hmm, but this new Fortnite event starting. And I bounce around too much where I have a hard time really committing to the 60-hour um, runtime of these types of games. Well, this game's like this 100 hours, too. Okay, yeah, point. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Switch is how I would play it, but the last one I got through was um, Persona 4 Golden on Vita, and it was because it came out at a time where there wasn't a lot on the system. It, it 
fit that system so well and there wasn't a lot else I was bouncing around to. But now that the Switch is a thing and there are so many other games on it that I love, um, there's so many other games that constantly pull my attention. Hmm. Yeah. It's a really chill experience and I find so many games now. So I'm playing a lot of different games that are kind of uh, events are happening and there's new content being pushed all the time and I'm logging in to play them. And it's nice to occasionally just kind of stop, put on my headphones and lay back on my couch and just play something a little more relaxing. And mm. I think Dragon Quest really fills the bill in that regard. It, I don't want to call it a palate cleanser, but it's a real nice change of pace. And I think we need that in our lives, to be to be honest. I, I think that so many games are so focused on platform, 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 that to have this kind of experience is really important. Hmm. That's cool. I'm trying to think of if there's a game like that in my life. And I don't know that there is. I mean, I guess getting on and just doing my world quests and here's a uh, um, World of Warcraft is kind of that. But uh, I don't know. It's not super chill. I, I like that. That's a cool way to describe it. Um, but that is not all that is on your playlist. What are the things from which uh, Dragon Quest is a departure? <laughs> well, I'm kind of reviewing everything at the moment. And so I'm in the process of reviewing Valkyria Chronicles 4. Mm. The review embargo went up fairly early, actually. Uh, I haven't had a chance to play as much as I would like, which is why I have not uh, posted my review. I believe uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4 comes out perhaps next week. So I should I expect to have my review up by the time that it comes out. But did you guys ever play the original Valkyria Chronicles? I loved the first game. Yeah, I haven't played any of the subsequent games, but I loved the first one. So speaking of games that deserve to be on the Switch, I've been playing it on the Switch, Valkyria Chronicles 4. And I got to say, I went in with some trepidation because I thought to myself, there's no way that this game can be as impactful as the original Valkyria Chronicles because I want to I go back in time really quickly. <laughs> I want to go back to the year 2008. It was not a good time for Japanese games. <laughs> and this... Uh, we're seeing games that are coming out for the PS3 from Japan that are just, from a graphic standpoint, really struggling frame rate. They're struggling to adapt to uh, the Unreal Engine and uh, the, the new tools that are coming out. And then Valkyria Chronicles comes out, and it is everything we want out of a Japanese game in HD. It is beautiful, this wonderful hand-drawn art. And... Uh, it was just gorgeous in HD and it told a great story. The gameplay was really meaty and it, it was just, it was a meteor for me. I, I loved it. And I just thought to myself, well, if it's more of the same, that's going to be a little bit of a bummer. And happily, while at its core, it is quote unquote more of the same. I think it really expands on the concepts of the original from what I've played. They add, quite a bit uh there are new character classes like the grenadier which really changes the way that you uh, approach different stages there are new mechanics like the ability to have characters following you but most importantly the main story is very different because the original valkyria chronicles was a militia you're you're in a militia you're uh, fighting for your home, right? These are professional mm -hmm. soldiers. And so the tonality of the story is just just different enough. And it's 
And like the original, it moves into some dark territory. But most importantly, it's just really fun to play on Switch. Oh my god, it is a great <laughs> Switch game. And I love I love the uh, the combat system of the first game. Does it retain that fun sort of quasi turn based, but you know you know you're moving your characters in real time system? Yeah, and I would say that the maps are a lot better this time around. Though it may be because I'm not trying to get an S rank on all of them this time around that I'm enjoying myself a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So that's uh, Valkyria Chronicles 4. It's coming out soon. Uh, you're playing it on Switch, but I think it's coming out on everything, right? Yeah, it's coming out on PC and PS4. I'm not sure about Xbox One. It may be coming out on that. But uh, the Switch version is, by and large, very good. It has a little bit of uh, a few technical, uh, not problems, compromises, but they're very, very light. Uh, I haven't noticed any real frame rate issues, which is one of the things that I was worrying about obviously it looks good on ps4 but i think the portability really suits the series and then uh the the last game that i'm playing is uh maybe a little bit of a departure from these games but not really is uh nba 2k19 <laughs> yeah a little bit of a departure i'd say Just a but, little bit uh... <laughs> um, but think about it this way i like rpgs and nba 2k19 involves me just role-playing as a basketball player a yeah, basketball is, player named Catfish Bailey, who is a point guard. Nice, and you gotta you gotta up those stats, and you gotta yeah. you gotta go into combat, i.e., scoring more points than the enemy. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, it's just kind of a bummer that the progression is tied so heavily to microtransactions. Uh, microtransactions sorry, have been a real been kind of bugbear with the series. You need to pay us a dollar to keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, it's. A lot of people would say it's pay to win. Um, I, th- I think it's slightly more nuanced than that, but they do start. A lot of people to- would say the real NBA is pay to win. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, you, you start out really weak is the problem, and there is a large inducement to pay into it. But the thing with NBA 2K is there's so much to it, and more than that one particular mode that is microtransaction driven, and it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful game. The presentation is outstanding, and I'm not even that big of a fan of an NBA of the NBA, but it's so addictive. Like the actual gameplay is so much fun. So here's something I don't get, and I don't know, Kat, if if uh, you have played the Switch version or not. But a friend and I, we were both very excited about the Switch version. We were gonna, we knew it was a compromised version of the game, but we were excited to tinker with my career and then you know play his Bulls against my Rockets and just have fun, right? Playing online together. Um, but apparently, and I've had a hard time nailing down an answer for why this is the case, but if you play my career offline, which I get, you can't uh, get grind up. They're not V-Bucks. What are they called? Whatever their currency is. Why that wouldn't be tied to it because people would be worried about hacking. But apparently, if you play my career offline on Switch, there are no cutscenes. So you're playing the story mode, but you get no story. And I, I don't get it that seemed that seems like a weird a weird thing yeah to be honest i wish that there was a way that you could play my career microtransaction free offline with a story and everything the fact of the matter is they don't need these microtransactions for the progression but they put them in there because they make a ridiculous amount of money off them and last year's version everybody was complaining about it best-selling version 
uh, and not only just the best-selling version, most profitable. They just they make a truly absurd amount of money off this game, and the I, I wish they wouldn't do it because they don't have to. But there's they're gonna do it. That's too bad. Yeah, I would love just like a almost the way Madden. What I I liked uh, the long shot. What I wish the long shot was was like just playing through this character, but actually playing football games versus I didn't play much of the the one in Madden 19 but in Madden 18 there was a lot of mini games and they controlled differently than the core game of Madden controlled and what I like about my career traditionally in NBA 2k is that you're playing actual basketball and the mini games that you do or the skills the practice that you do is the same um, control scheme that you would use in, in an actual game so you're actually getting better as the person playing the game and your character is also getting better but then to divorce the idea of the and i think admittedly oftentimes cheesy uh story from it if you have to play offline like give me an offline mode where i can play with the story and still not you know get my microtransactions and level up my character i just want to i just want to play it that way and it, it it bothers me that there's not that option yeah, it bothers me a lot too, and it's really too bad, especially for the Switch version, because I think about it, if you're playing on the Switch, you're often playing offline, maybe you're on a plane or something, or you're on you're at a coffee shop, and it's just not as easy to get online, To so you have the Wi-Fi off, well, I mean, you have just lost a huge amount of NBA 2K's functionality, and we were talking earlier about large AAA games and playing them on the Switch, that's Another reason that I've shied away a little more toward that idea on the Switch because so many of them are so online heavy that I wouldn't want to lose that aspect with because I consider the portability to be so key to the uh, overall appeal of the Switch. Yeah. I think I think if Nintendo were to make a Switch Plus or whatever they would call it, uh, that would be the key feature that I think they need to work on is just making it a more robust mobile data point you know it it just it needs that the games i mean if you're talking about streaming games in japan if you're talking about games that are multiplayer focused it's just i feel like it is such an ad hoc solution to you know having an online presence in this device i just i think nintendo needs to improve that i know a lot of people manage and it's fine and and it works but boy i don't ever feel confident that i could just take my switch into the wild and be able to play online only games. Yeah. And that's why the, I'm just not that interested in the Nintendo online plan, the subscription, because yeah. I'm thinking, well, when am I ever going to play this online and come, come on, right. I'm not going to play smash right. online. I'm playing with my friends. Right. Right. Um, Christian, you, your playlist is uh, eclectic and huge and awesome. Uh, you've been dipping into a lot of games this week, so we're going to dive into it, but, uh, I thought before we do that, let me just thank our second sponsor, Blue Apron. Oh, I love talking about Blue Apron. In fact, I got my uh, I got my recipe right here. Uh, people that are watching on the stream in, in video form can see my uh, my. This is what I cooked tonight, right before we started recording. I cooked a spice crusted salmon and carrot fries, and it was mwah, mwah, fingers to lips mwah, mwah, audio medium, but it's fingers to lips mwah, so good. Uh, it was delicious, and uh, this is the, an example of the kind of thing that I get to make for my family. I would never have been able to do this <laughs> if I was before the world of Blue Apron entered my life. Uh, I I didn't know anything about cooking, and now I'm like 
feeling awesome. I'm, I'm chopping cool. I'm delivering these amazing recipes. This salad that it comes with, this, this kale salad that it comes with, it's got like a, uh, an avocado dressing. It was incredible. The recipe we made earlier in the week, my wife kept and remade part of it for a party that she was going to because she liked the, the recipe so much. This is how good the recipes are. It's like restaurant quality material, restaurant quality, delicious food that you make yourself and you feel proud. And I honestly, it has changed my life. Blue Apron gives you fresh ingredients and step-by-step recipes. Look at how easy. It's just one single page, always just one single page, oftentimes not even the full page. And they print out all the the step-by-step instructions so that you finish everything all at the same time. So you're not having to bounce back and forth. It says, while this is happening, do this. It, it, it really is, makes a dummy like me able to make delicious food for my family. I feel awesome. Oftentimes, you can make them in as little as 20 minutes. It's, it, it, the recipes are delicious. There's a huge amount of variety. You can pick and choose the recipes you want uh, before they're sent to you. Honestly, Blue Apron is one of my favorite things in the world. I recommend it to everybody. I begged them to sponsor us because I'm already proselytizing about it. And I want to hook you guys up with a free week of meals. That's three meals free. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free at blueapron.com slash DLC. That's blueapron.com slash DLC to get your first three meals free. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Christian, you have so many games on your on your playlist. What do, would you like to start with? Uh, oh, yeah, I do. Let's start with the Blackout beta. Call of Duty Black Ops 4. I got a code from Neuromancer. was very generous to hook me up with a code. I forgot that it had started when it started on PlayStation. And I was like, ooh, I, I, I would like <laughs> I, I, I a whack, and, and I got a code. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, Jeff, you saw some of it. You played a little bit of it. Um, Kat, before I dive in, have you played or experienced any of the Blackout beta? I haven't. I haven't. I have played the Blackout beta. And the first thing that struck me was it was kind of it surprised me how similar it was to PUBG, at least in terms of just the overall look of the world, uh, the pacing. I was expecting something quite a bit faster, uh, more Call of Duty-ish. And certainly that was the case once the actual combat began. But I was getting some serious deja vu with this game. If yes. you were just walking by, I think you would just assume it was PUBG. I, I, if you didn't know it was Call of Duty from the start, maybe you'd be like, oh, that's an odd view. But it, it looks a lot like looks- the original map, doesn't it? Yeah, it really yeah. does. Other than the fact that you're constantly getting like, crazy guns <laughs> you know it's so, not like you're getting a frying pan y- yes the, the the loot drops are different the guns are different and they're more call of duty guns you've seen in the series um and i think at first blush it does look a lot like first person PUBG. the big caveat there is that it's first person PUBG that already in beta form runs and performs so much more smoothly than PUBG does on xbox uh, when I jumped into PUBG when it first launched in uh, you know beta on Xbox, you'd parachute into an island and you're going 15 frames per second. Like even on the Xbox One X, like it was bad. It's better now. Um, it still pales in comparison to how it runs on PC. But Blackout runs really well, and in, in my experience playing it on console, 
it performs really well. It looks great. Um, it doesn't look as beautiful as Call of Duty single player campaigns can and do with, you know, lighting and bringing you through a creepy hallway or this, that, and the other. But I feel like um, you look at it, oh, it looks like PUBG. And then you see someone running smoothly through the world and you're like, wait, this isn't PUBG on console because it, it performs really, really well. And the other thing that I really enjoy about Blackout that I think is uh, a, a cool entry into the Battle Royale genre and something that I think others might learn from is the idea of these you know, consumable perks where Call of Duty has always been known for its unlocks and bringing in the spy plane to reveal enemy locations or the turret gun or whatever you're going to unlock, right? Dropping bombs on the other side of the map. And the way that Blackout is handling these right now is that they are consumables that you find in the world. You drop with nothing and you land and you find things. And then so you fire, I forget, I, I apologize. I don't know all the names of them, but you'll fire one off and um, all of a sudden you'll find better gear for a limited amount of time or you'll be faster for a little bit of time um, or you'll get a health buff. And it's up to you when you use these, right? So you can store them in your backpack and then totally change the tide of a battle, especially if you're playing in a group and you know what each of you have, and you fire them off at the right time, it can really swing a fight, which is pretty cool. And also, I think in terms of if you have, I think it's Swift. Ah, I shouldn't have said a name, so I don't know if it's right. But whatever the bump in speed is, you know, you're able to flank someone uh, in a very different way. To me, that was the biggest change in the rhythm of the game over Fortnite or PUBG, is that you don't know what perks other players have or when they're going to fire them off so i'd kind of get into this standard volley of like behind a tree going to come around do the building coming through the window and then oh no i have i have the speed perk <laughs> i can just hop twice and be right behind the person and they will know how i got there and take somebody out which i think is a really cool change i also think the quick backpack the way you quick select items in your backpack um is a fundamental shift in how these games are currently played. And in PUBG, I kind of like that drama of like, oh, I'm basically can't do anything right now because I'm organizing my backpack. <laughs> and you've seen players get very quick at this and, you know, customize their mouse and playing on PC to be able to tab shift through things and, and get the right gear they want. But the way Blackout seems to streamline that with console players in mind, I think is really smart. Is going to change the rhythm of play as well. My... The thing I I don't love about the game right now, and I think this might be a me problem, I'm not sure, but I have a hard time knowing just by looking at them what weapons and items are better versions than others. Uh, Fortnite probably does the best of this, where it's they're color-coded, um, and it's kind of up to you to decide if you want a shotgun or an assault rifle or whatever, uh, what type of playstyle you have. PUBG, it's typically bigger, is more powerful, um and here in call of duty so many of the guns to me look like badass machine gun one badass machine gun two and i don't know the difference between them um call of duty players might recognize them by name better than i do but i think even a veteran call of duty player if you enter a, a, a room and you kind of scan it quickly the way the items currently represent on the floor isn't as clear as I think um, a lot of Battle Royale players would like them to be. Vehicles are really fun and a great addition. They play well. And then it also it has some fun. You know, there's like a grenade that you throw and it, it zombies <laughs> arrive. Um, there's the ray gun. I'm trying to think of some of the other fun things that I've played with. Um, 
I I think this game has potential to be this mode, I should say, has potential to be very big. I think its test will be next November or next October, I guess. Um, what next year's Call of Duty does to it. Is it something where you need to buy that next game to keep Blackout going? Or if I have Black Ops 4, does next year's Battle Royale continue with it? But so far, they've shown a willingness to um, change and, and make... Um, some good quality of life improvements and nerf some things and, and buff some other items throughout the beta. And if they're able to show that type of quick reaction to player feedback, I, I think blackout is quickly going to go from a me also to, um, you know, a, a, a genre leader. It's really impressive. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Is this, is this something that I, I know that you like, Battle Royale games. Uh, you've been you've played a lot of PUBG, and then you switched over to Fortnite, despite saying that you wouldn't. <laughs> so <laughs> take whatever answer I say here, and know I'm going to be lying. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so does this feel like a game that you want to put more time into? You want to switch over to? You want to get good at? Or is is the behemoth of Fortnite just too big to move away from? That's a great question. I don't know if I will switch over. My gut tells me no i could be wrong and i think the reason why is i do think that there is even in this mode a as cat mentioned once you get into firefights there is very much a call of duty rhythm to them and i was never good at that speed of play um right now when you're walking around the map it doesn't have that same speed of play where call of duty's got to later where maps were tight and you were wall running and bouncing around but the left trigger, right trigger, left trigger, right trigger rhythm of Call of Duty games was one I was never as quick as as other players. And I was able to do okay in PUBG because of the entire slower pace of that game. And then Fortnite's just so zany and, and willy-nilly that sometimes I can do okay. My fear is that Call of Duty will attract that hardcore, super competitive, super talented first-person shooter audience, and I will quickly be... Uh, finishing 70th <laughs> you know every, every game <laughs> right right interesting uh what else is on your playlist so i will talk uh anthony talked a lot about destiny 2 forsaken last week i will just hint on it a little bit today uh, i actually got a code from you mr canada um and i am yep. playing the campaign of that i'm a few hours in so far and it feels good to be home. Oh, man. <laughs> I put so many hours into Vanilla Destiny 2, passed on the last two expansions, and the way that this campaign opens in Forsaken is stunning. Uh, I, no one does first-person shooting like Bungie, and to be right back in that, especially taking so much time off from the franchise, to load back in and have the campaign feel weighty and meaty and there's stakes from the beginning and the cinematics are stunning there's a, a cut scene that i think it's maybe after the first or second campaign mission that is just you know it's a type of thing that blizzard usually does and you like you're like make this a movie <laughs> like turn turn this cut scene into a movie um and the uh, league of legends just did too with their recent um uh, new map or area, whatever that is. That that trailer is incredible. There's so, it's 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 amazing. It's so cinematic, and for me, it's characters that I've been with for so long that it felt really cool to see. And the gameplay is just rock solid. The boss fights have been really fun and challenging. And then I've already started going back and grinding. I'm like, okay, I used a spark of light to get my a warlock up to level on PC because I only had a um 
a hunter. And uh, I already jumped back in and started doing familiar strikes and adventures and trying to get my character a little OP as I go through the campaign. But if you were a fan of Destiny 2, the campaign stuff, um, and kind of felt a little put off by it, uh, I think Destiny 2 Forsaken campaign, from what I've played so far, delivers in spades. It's it's awesome. I, again, did not pay any money for it, so I can't say if I had paid 60 bucks. If I would feel that there's enough there, there, I've heard it's about six hours, uh, the campaign four to six hours, but it starts really strong and I'm excited to see, excited to see where it goes. I installed it. So I'm gonna play it. I'm excited. (laughs) Are you, aren't you excited about about your 2080 now, Christian? Now you got that on PC, you got that destiny Two waiting to, uh, show off your new shiny new card i was tracking my frames the lowest i hit currently uh aside from cutscenes, i think was 90 so i don't know if i need a 20 yeah but you're playing in 1080p like a plebeian the point is not to <laughs> the point is not whether you should be doing it or whether you need to the point is that you can exactly she gets it Okay, you guys are both the little devil. I needed Cat. I need you to be the the other side of my shoulder. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I am the devil. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but it's awesome. I'm I, I'm really liking. It. I'm excited for you to play it and see if the campaign grabs you the same way, Jeff. It's really fun. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm waiting. I'm literally waiting for my new card to show up to play. I don't want to, you know. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I've heard some good things, by the way. I I don't think I can allowed to say, but I have a friend who is reviewing those cards and. I've heard some very good things about benchmarks. I will do one more demo. Uh, You saw me play some of this as well. The Forza Horizon 4 demo is out. We'll spend a lot of time on it because the full game is practically right around the corner. Um, But I you're going to be getting that. There's no doubt, right, dude? If you own if you own an Xbox, I guess PC also download this demo. It's a beautiful demo. Um, it feels like, remember Jeff, when you first got your Xbox one and like you booted it up and it had that awesome, like welcome video Yeah, that Microsoft does so well, like this demo yeah. feels like that for this game. It just, you're in a car and it's like, welcome to, I think it's fall or whatever it is. You're zipping around and it's like, oh, also winter. And then you're in a truck and the feels completely different because you're off road. You're not even doing it justice, dude. It's, it's, it's like. It's incredible. It's incredible. I was sitting right next to you watching you play. I have no desire to play these games. I'm just I'm just rubbish at simulation racers. Every time I go, this is the one where I'll get good. It never works it's out. It's not for really me. a sim. If you don't mind me being pedantic, it's it's fairly arcadey, but it it's not arcadey enough for me. It's, <laughs> it's, it's for car nuts for sure. Yeah, it's, I'm not able to uh, hold the gas down constantly and then crash into other players for fun. I gotta say, so therefore, I, I gotta say, even if you're not a car fan, I'm not a car fan. Um, I love this game. It it is an incredible, incredible game. Just from a graphic standpoint, uh, from a gameplay standpoint, it feels so tight. Driving around those worlds are just incredible. Um, I actually got to play it last week. Uh, like fairly extended for like a few hours and I got to sample some of the content that's going to be in the final version. And yeah, it already feels like they're on track to top Forza Horizon 3, which is hard because I think Forza Horizon 3 is probably, it has a strong claim on being one of the best driving games ever. Yes. And I, I'm so happy to hear you say that cat. Cause I agree that just this demo made me think they did it. 
They did it. And we're going to get real-time changing of seasons. The way the demo flies you through all of them. and then It's like- seamless. It's utterly seamless. Like you're you're driving and then it changes the season and the entire world has completely transformed. And there's it masks any loading. It, it, it just – it's incredible. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And then I thought that was the whole demo was just that four opening thing of all the seasons. And I was like, what – I looked at you and I'm like, this is an incredible demo. This is – what this sells the game so perfectly what a beautiful demo and then it's like welcome to the festival here's some race and i'm like there's more demo <laughs> this demo's not over um download the demo it's awesome judge for yourself you can literally play what i've played you can play it for free and after it does those four you it runs you all through all four seasons it's like do you want to buy the game or just keep playing the demo and it's i looked at you and i was like if, if I was on my home console, I think I'd buy the game. I know I didn't need to be, but that was the excuse I used for not like pre-purchasing you, it right there. You asked me if you already did buy the game. I'm like, you're like when when the demo kept going, you're like, did I already buy it? Did I did I go into a fugue state and just buy this already and I didn't know it? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's real pretty. If it only had crashing and sweet jumps, I'd be. It has sweet jumps. It has. Sweet I mean, jumps. it doesn't have. It has a stunt. It has, it has an entire story where you're a stunt driver. Okay. All right. All right. Sweet jumps, but I need more crashing. I totally agree. I just want burnout. I loved burnout paradise back in the day. And yeah. I want burnout with this engine. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Wouldn't it? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I think this game, I think Forza horizon has, is better than burnout. I'm going to say it. Burnout has a special place for a lot of people's hearts. Cause we were young and wistful, but uh, these Forza horizon three and it's DLC were so incredible. And it looked like what they're doing with four, um yeah hats yeah. off to playground games for taking you know a, a marquee franchise that microsoft had with forza motorsport and not to say anything negative about turn 10 because these games would not exist without them but somehow they took a marquee franchise and did a spin-off side project and in my opinion made it the marquee franchise now i can't go back to just driving around nuremberg Track. again yeah. i can't do it also I mean, again, I'm not the target audience for this game, but if you s- slipped me a piece of paper that said the next Forza Horizon is going to have seasons, I'd be like, and? <laughs> you know, like, I, this sounds really unexciting on paper, but the the way that they have put that into in, <laughs> into full flower in the game, the way that it 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 reveals itself and the what it means for those for those environments and how it changes what you're doing and just it, it really does feel like a, a completely new kind of racing it's really wild how much it impacts just the look and feel of the environments yeah cat is there anything from those uh, uh, multiple hours hands-on that you could talk about about the bigger game at this time has character customization which I just right off the bat really like because I love character customization in general. It's something you can do in NBA 2K as well. But uh, I find it interesting that it's kind of controversial among the community because a lot of them are like, I don't care about customizing my avatar. I care about customizing the interior of my car, Hmm. which I think is an interesting counterpoint. Personally, I don't care, but I can see... Like, especially for car nuts, why they would want a greater degree of control over, say, like the steering wheel and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can buy a house, which (laughs) I also love. You can buy all the way up to Edinburgh Castle. So I got a house (laughs) uh, relatively early on that I could go, and that served as kind of my base of operations. It's essentially 
sort of like the festivals from Horizon 3, but it is kind of, it's mine. It's my own thing. And I can spend money and progressively get better ones. I, I think the, you guys were talking about the seasons. I think the seasons are going to be really interesting because in the initial part of the prologue of the game, uh, as you're working your way through the initial races, the the seasons change. But once you get to a certain point, the seasons change once a week, I believe. And so I like the aspect of, I will put the game away, I'll come back, and oh, it's winter now. And this game looks totally different and feels totally different. And I I think that it's... Just like Animal Crossing. (laughs) Yeah, no, but it's instead of happening in real time, it's happening every few weeks. (laughs) Yes, getting back to Animal Crossing. It's like Animal Crossing, but fun. <laughs> Stop it! I mean, this game also is fun. Animal Crossing fans are going to freaking lynch me at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very excited for for this game, and I'm curious. I think with Forza Horizon Two, um, the expansions for that and that the uh, Fast and the Furious Free game that was built on Forza Horizon Two was awesome, and Three was awesome, and this looks awesome. <laughs> to really elaborate my point, it looks awesome. Um, your game is awesome. How awesome is your game? Very. Um, okay, the next thing on your list, Christian, yeah. is one that's causing me a little consternation as well. Because Try more fiber. Uh, no, consternation. Consternation. <laughs> different word. Um, the last game, I believe, was our game of the year, right? On DLC, The Rise of the Tomb Raider. Wasn't that our game of the year that year? That sounds, I forget if it was right. If it, one, they're horribly named games. Yeah, they are. They're all mis- misnamed. But love these games, love the Tomb Raider franchise, love third-person action games. Uh, I was sitting at my computer with literally with World of Warcraft on. And <laughs> so that wasn't sitting at your computer. That was you were playing World of, War- World of Warcraft. Well, I was, in a, I was on a flight path, you know, okay. in a queue. Okay. It, there are things. Okay. Yeah. But um, I turned to my Xbox and said, okay, it, today's the day that Shadow of the Tomb Raider comes out. I should probably buy that i gotta play it for the show and as i was uh sitting with the hovering over the buy button uh i was thinking through it and going i'm really just playing a lot of wow right now it's friday i'm not gonna be able to play enough of it before sunday to really talk about it and then i realized oh my gosh tuesday bard's tale 4 comes out and i'm gonna leap into that game i've been really eagerly anticipating that there's just no room. There's no room. And I didn't buy it. And then here comes Christian texting me going, Jeff, Shadow of the Tomb Raider is so good. So consternation. So I am probably three to four hours in. Uh, so full disclosure, it's not a review. This is an impression. These are pre- not a preview. These are my impressions. Um, it's If you are a fan of the other, <clears throat> excuse me, trying to clear my throat. If you are a fan of the other two of this, era this iteration of these tomb raider games from what i have played of shadow of the tomb raider it is so easy to recommend is it more of the same it it appears yes largely so but it is stunning graphically and from the way the game starts throwing lara into an incredible set piece and i think doing something really interesting with the character i know the game didn't review as high as the other entries in this series. And I think in general, this series, in my opinion, um, oftentimes hadn't reviewed publicly uh, or 
universally as high as you and I maybe regarded them. I think some of that is other people's baggage for the character where I have no strong tie to Lara. So seeing them change the character or her motivations, it doesn't bother me. I'm not like, uh, this is how she needs to be. She acts because of this, or it's supposed to just be this or that, or the other, I kind of took these games for what they were um, without saying they needed to be a certain type of game to be a Tomb Raider game. And what this game does with its story initially, I find fascinating. I'm fearful that it doesn't deliver on its narrative. And, and maybe that might explain why some people feel negative about it. But speaking broadly, it paints Lara as this person who is compelled to to do something, to, you know, right this wrong or see this thing to the end. And the question is over and over and over again, at what cost? Why are you doing this? Why do you feel compelled to get these artifacts, to hunt these people down, to murder all of these people? Like what? And this game takes place, there's a gap between the second one and this one where very early in the game, I'm talking probably first 10 minutes, they talk about taking down a prior Trinity cell. So they've done work between those games and they're just out there murdering Trinity. And Trinity is clearly painted as, you know, the bad guy secret group that runs the world and wants to destroy everything or remake it in its image of how they think the world should be. And that's not right. But this game opens with Alara who is so hell bent on enacting her, whether it's revenge or what she feels is right in terms of punishing Trinity it's always at what cost? Why are we doing this? And I think it's such an interesting question to be asking of a protagonist and one that Spider-Man wrestles with a little bit as well. I think mostly through the character itself, but also in the video game with uh, J. Jonah Jameson's podcast saying, I'm not saying Spider-Man's bad. I'm saying he created the stuff that is bad. Isn't that even worse? Or Batman, you know, the things he wrestles with is would the world be better without him? And I think doing that with a character like Lara in these third-person bombastic action-adventure games that so many people critique for their ludonarrative dissonance problem of I'm a murderer and I've killed hundreds of people and I go into this ancient civilization and Nathan Drake and wreck all their <laughs> you know, monuments and blow them up, but I got the thing, yahoo, zipline away, to wrestle with that in a compelling way that this is still a bombastic third-person action game, um, I find fascinating. I'm fearful that at some point it will lose that thread and it, that won't matter anymore. But there is a, a small moment in early in the game where Lara is trying to get out of a predicament. And there is a small child that is endangered calling for their mother. Help me, help me, help me. Lara is close enough, close but not close enough. And that child falls to their death. Oof. And it's this moment of just like, holy crap, is this where we're going with this game and with this character and knowing that, like, that's her fault? Or did she not do enough? Is it her? It's it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And I think if they can walk this line of these fun, action-filled set pieces, but with a Lara that actually matters, um, I think it's a really fascinating trilogy arc for this character where she starts as, you know, trying to track down what happened to her father. She figures it out. She needs to stop this global epidemic from being unleashed and then becomes obsessed with the Trinity and who and what they are that it's, you know, at the, 
I'm projecting, I don't know, but it's like at the end, does she look at the, herself in the mirror and now she's the head of Trinity? You know, I, I feel like mm-hmm. there's room for that arc. So again, I haven't finished it. I'm fearful that the story will kind of fall off, but where it starts in these first three hours or whatever is fascinating. All that being said, the gameplay is still rock solid. It's that same, very much that more of the same. You, you have a few more camouflage options, um, hiding against flat brush. You can like kind of muddy yourself up, I guess, to to camouflage yourself a little better. But the bow feels great. The movement feels great. The kind of skill tree you have unlock at base camps is really cool. It feels a little less open worldy um, than the second game. It feels closer to the first game in terms of you have little hubs that you can kind of walk around and find tombs. Um, but it's not as much free roaming as maybe the second game. But I'm loving it so far. Uh, like I said, three, four hours in, I'm I'm absolutely loving it so far. So I got to make time for this one. Dang it. Or you can wait till it goes on sale. You know, there's got to yeah. be a downtime in the year, right? Cat games stop coming out eventually, right? No, Ooh. they never stop coming out forever. <laughs> I, I say this from experience. There's like two months in the year where things quiet down just a tiny bit and then it picks up again. But uh, yeah. I, I think Shadow of the Tomb Raider is an interesting game. Uh, I think that we gave it maybe a 3.5 out of 5. Uh, I did not review this game, so I apologize. Um, my reviewer was like, yeah, no, I ultimately enjoyed it for the most part. And uh, I think that like Dragon Quest Eleven, it may be in danger of falling between the cracks because there's mm. a Spider-Man has really just been dominating everything in september and then of course next month we get red dead redemption 2 and that is pretty rough but uh, so i wish it the best of luck yeah Yeah, i think this game has struggled to find its identity for whatever you know an xbox exclusive the timed exclusive and and this launching between spider-man and red dead i think it's unfortunate i think it also gets I, i i do again just totally my own um guess on this but i do think that people want tomb raider to be something and and this maybe isn't that and so it kind of gets taken down a peg a little bit other than if it was its own franchise and just a fun third person action adventure game where you go to these really cool locales and see beautiful vistas and um yeah it's you know the type of gamer i am jeff listeners of our show know the type of gamer i am um and if you are also that type of gamer it's very easy to recommend Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Again, maybe it all goes to crap in hour five, and next week I'll be like, I'm so sorry. Why did you buy this game? But it sets a heck of a first impression. Well, uh, we mentioned that uh, the games, they don't ever stop, and that is a perfect segue to our final sponsor, which is Gamefly. It's the way to play everything. It's the way you're playing Shadow of the Tomb Raider, right, Christian? That is correct. The best way to rent all your favorite games is Gamefly. Gamefly is a subscription of video games. All you need to do is you pay the one monthly fee, you get unlimited video game rentals of all the most popular titles, and you play them as long as you want. There's no, never any late fees. There's never any time you have to send it back by. You play the game as long as you want with no pressure. Send it back when you're done. They send you the next game on your list, and you keep playing. You get to play forever, which is how long games are going to come out for. So it all works out. They have over 9,000 titles. They get mailed directly to your door. There's never any fee for delivery or anything like that. It's one low monthly fee. Works out to about 54 cents a day. You can cancel any time. Plus, you can even rent movies. If you want to rent movies, Gamefly also offers movie rentals as well now. And we're going to give you a special offer. If you go to Gamefly.com slash DLC2, you can start your free premium 30-day 
trial. That's a special offer just for listeners of DLC. Usually their their um, free trial is a single game at, at once. The premium trial allows you to check out two games and or movies at a time. And you can only get this offer by visiting Gamefly.com slash DLC2. Two is for the, how, how many games you get to have at, the, at once. So sign up now and start playing all your favorite games absolutely free for 30 days. Guys, I have a couple of uh, emails that I want to talk about before we wrap up the show. The first one is is really cool. This comes from Brian Davis, uh, who works at BB Middle School. He says, I teach an independent STEM class for 5th and 6th graders. I had two 5th grade girls interested in a cool augmented reality sand table, and they were all excited and found all the parts that they needed, only to be heartbroken to find out our graphics card in the school computers were woefully underpowered. So I tweeted out to Jeff to see if the DLC community had a nice used graphics card to get rid of. And within a half an hour, the call was answered. A big, big shout out and thanks to Badger Lord Tasso. That's at Badger Lord Tasso on Twitter, who sent a video card to these girls at the school, which is awesome. Uh, he says, I've used, think about what you put out into the world to make it a better place in class. And I'm very thankful that my DLC brothers and sisters are living it too. Uh, I just wanted to highlight that. Thank you, Badger Lord Tasso. It's really awesome. Makes me proud of this community. And I'm excited. I hope, uh, Brian, I hope you follow up with some pictures of what these fifth and sixth graders, or I guess these two fifth graders, uh, create, because I would love to see it. Um, and it's uh, really inspiring and cool to hear. So thanks again, guys. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up, and I'm very curious about this this discussion. We talked about Call of Duty Blackout this episode. And uh, obviously, uh, Battle Royale games are all the rage. This was an, a Twitter exchange from Matt Villers, who is a game designer on one of my favorite games, Heroes of the Storm. And I think he nails, in a way that I've never heard articulated quite this perfectly, uh, what it is about battle royale games that seems to m- make them have make them the the new hot thing of the moment. And so he's here's what Matt Villers writes. He's a he's a designer on Heroes of the Storm. He says in PvP games, most of the highs that a player experiences have to be ops- offset by lows for somebody else. Balancing these against each other is one of the eternal struggle- struggles of PvP design. The magic of battle royale is that it deals with this problem in a really ingenious way. First, it offers the potential of very high highs and then distributes the corresponding lows across the entire player pool of 50-plus people. When you win, you dominate 49 people a little bit instead of one person a lot. Second, most of your losses are quick and painless. If you lose early, it's no big deal, and you go find another game to join. If you lose late, you did pretty well and made it far. Either way, the sting of losing is relatively low. You're less likely to have lows so severe that you feel angry after playing and will sometimes have really awesome games you can brag to your friends about, and player stories are great for engagement. It's not at all surprising that this appeals to a lot of people, especially those who value personal glory in competitive games. And if anything, we'll probably see more variants of it in the future. And in even in games that aren't geared into first-person shooters and team-based shooters. So the reason I bring that up, because I think he nails something that I've never heard really articulated, which is 
And this, we talked about this on the, uh, here's the storm podcast that I guessed on, by the way, um, Garrett and Kyle brought this to my attention over on uh, into the nexus this week. Um, but what, what Matt Villers is getting to here is something that I find fascinating. And I'd love to hear you guys' uh, opinion on it. This idea that what battle Royale figured out is the longer you play, the better you're doing. And if you have a really bad game, it means you get to be into the next game faster. So your commitment level in, in almost every other organized competition, there's a finite amount of time that you're involved, the beginning of the game to the end of the game. And at the end of the game, you either win or lose. And at the end of the game, there are winners and there are losers and the winners feel good and the losers feel bad. And that's that. But you both inputted the same amount of time commitment into it. What Battle Royale has figured out is the closer you are to winning, the more time you've put in. And the farther away you are from winning, the less time you put in. So it literally links your time commitment to your feeling at the end of the outcome. So it's not like you put all this time into a thing and you ended up a loser and you feel like you wasted your time and, oh my God, I'm going to rage my teammates because I've spent an hour playing Dota 2 and we all lost. It is literally the amount of time I put in corresponds to how good I feel on the way out. And I've never heard anybody articulate it like that. And I think that is a profound idea that can, I think, be extracted from Battle Royale and put into other things that don't have to actually be the Battle Royale template, but can learn from that lesson. Kat, what do you think about this? I think that is an interesting idea. I, I think more broadly, one of the appeals of Battle Royale uh, that jumped out at me when uh, they were kind of laying out their case for Battle Royale was in so many multiplayer games, as you're playing, you are losing repeatedly. You are dying repeatedly. And in Battle Royale, you only die once. And when you die, it is a failure state, and it is a really kind of disappointing thing. And when you're dying a lot, you start to get frustrated and angry with the game. Whereas in, I think that's a really good point when they say that if you die early, you're going, ah, well, I really screwed that up. Well, try again. And if you die late, you think, ah, I did really well. Uh, It takes the frustration of dying and spins it into sort of a positive thing. And that, is interesting um as for applying this to other games i don't know i I think battle royale is its own kind of special snowflake with its own challenges and its own strengths and weaknesses i'm really interested to see how since it's so still such early days for battle royale i'm really interested to see how it evolves i'm especially interested to see what battlefield for example brings to the table and how they are able to spin it I, I want to see people continue to bring their own particular outlook to continue to refine it in interesting and unique ways. But I agree that that is one of the unique strengths of a battle royale game is that invariably when you die, you're not thinking, oh, screw this game. I mean, you might be, but I mean, you're not thinking, oh, I hate everything. I'm depressed. I'm upset. You're thinking either I did really well or like, I, I can play again, and that is a really key part of like a strong uh, kind of addiction loop. 
Yeah, I, I just think that it's, it's this profound way of focusing it in my head is this idea of, you know, the the worse I am at the game, the less time I have spent being that yeah. dad. <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, Christian, what do you think of this? Yeah, I think it's a, a wonderful way to articulate that, you know, the draw and appeal of Battle Royale. I think Battle Royales also, though I've gotten so big that they're kind of maybe pot- potentially messing with their own success as defined there by adding squads 4v4 that you know some of the larger i think 25 like they've done i know 55 Fortnite often does 50v50 and then i think there might be like 20 20 20 20 you know some of these things where you can blame your teammates <laughs> for your failures yeah, yeah but in its pure mode of this 1v100 or whatever it is it's a really interesting way to look at it where it's you always feel like a winner i you know played a bunch of PUBG when i was playing that with guest and uh on friend and guest of the show chris bergman and he would always articulate when we got to top 20, he'd be like, yes, we won. And I was like, what? he's like, no, man, we made it top 20. That's incredible. It's an amazing achievement. We did it. Awesome. Everything else is, you know, gravy after this. And there's a really fun way to look at it that I think is another way of saying, um, you know, the Twitter change you just read of like, yeah, there's victory along the way. When you do lose, it's always no big deal, which is pretty awesome. And not only that, when you win, it's your victory. It's not the team's victory. So many other games, you're you're you you take the moral victory of I am at the top of the leaderboard. That's what you're shooting for, and and that's cool. And then after, and then also, did the team win? Yay! But in battle royale, it's crystallized as I survived. I got the chicken dinner. I'm awesome. Yeah. And uh, I you don't see that in too many other shooters, I suppose. I, it harkens back to the days of Unreal Tournament. I suppose where or like classic deathmatch shooters where you're staying along alive as long as possible and then you're at the top of the heap only this one lasts a lot longer and you have jeeps and you're on an open world and cool. <laughs> anyway i thought that would be an interesting thing to to read it certainly uh crystallized in, in my head of, of what why this is caught on and what's so special about it 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 mitigates a lot of the frustration points that i even have in multiplayer games when i feel like oh my God, I'm 15 minutes into a 30 minute game and there's no way for us to win. And I'm stuck here. Uh, that yeah. just isn't the case in, in battle Royale. And I can understand why that is such a mitigating factor in, in why people repeat, re- return to it. It's, it's like, I'm not, I'm not stuck in this bad feeling. And if I feel bad, it's, it lasts for a very short amount of time. And I, and if I feel good, it's because I've been doing it a while. It's, it's a, it's a cool link. Yeah, Battlefield has that problem in particular where you will often know within the first few minutes whether you're going to win or lose as a team, and then the match goes another 30 to 40 minutes. Right, right, yeah. All right, Uh, well, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for that. But Kat Bailey, you have been awesome. I have certainly enjoyed having you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for uh, having me. It's it's awesome to have someone of, of your expertise in an area that is particularly a blind spot for Christian and I both. So uh, we appreciate it. Um, <laughs> well, I'm happy to evangelize for the RPGs. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, tell people where they can keep up with you and your goings on on the internet. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot on, and also I host a podcast. You may have, I may have mentioned it. It's called Acts of the Blood God. And of course, I'm the editor in chief of US Gamer, which is a, we are the sister site of Eurogamer and VG247 and Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Um, 
We are a mainstream site, but we cover a lot of very esoteric topics, and we have a lot of really good stuff on the site about Spider-Man in particular. Um, our writer, features writer, Katie McCarthy, did a really a neat chat with Suda51 about Killer, uh, Killer7 recently. Um, and invariably, when you come by, you're going to find some really kind of interesting tidbit about a retro game that maybe you didn't know. Uh, retro and RPGs are very much in our wheelhouse over at US Gamer. So check us out at usgamer.net. Very cool. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, this will be, there are, uh, what, two new episodes of Department of Parenting before that podcast officially sunsets. I got to meet uh, Chris's, her new little baby today. So it, was a, it was a treat. And man, we... we wrapped up and pre-recorded the final episodes of that podcast at the perfect time. I think it was two. She's like, yeah, I'm pretty close. I was like, yeah, I think it was two days later. She gave birth. So, uh, (laughs) um, but that there are new episodes of department of parenting throughout the end of the month. So you can check those all out at department of parenting.com. And then the other little geeky podcast, I do at least 20 more minutes, new episodes come out to patrons on Tuesday and everybody else on the uninformed opinions podcast feed on Fridays. Uh, last week's episode was about Spider-Man and the little things it does that kind of set it apart. We never really talked about it on this show, uh, but kind of the way the music makes you feel epic in all the right ways, depending on what you're doing and how it's context aware, I think is really cool. So you can find that Patreon, then my name or uninformed opinions uh, podcast feed. And, Christian, you yeah. got to, uh, I know you got a billion D things that you've been playing on your playlist, but you got to finish that Spider-Man so we can do the, the, um, yeah. Spoiler cast. Also, oh my gosh, I forgot to mention it until now on the show. I got so many people upset at me about how I pronounce Spider-Man. Uh, I know, I know it's not Spider-Man. It was a joke. It's a, it's just a, it's just a fun thing that I like. I like saying Spider-Man. I know that that's not how it's pronounced, people. Uh, and I apologize for all the people that found that grating. But I, <laughs> it delights me to call it Spider-Man. Uh, uh, I, I, one of the classic Jeff jokes. Spider-Man I, and X-Mon. You know, he just likes to... Uh... <laughs> but yeah, you guys, I, I apologize if that bothered everybody. But uh, <laughs> I got a lot more of a response than I anticipated <laughs> for that. Uh, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, uh, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Um, you can always email us at the show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. If you have any comments or questions or, you know, we mispronounce things and it grates on you, whatever, whatever the case, uh, we welcome your comments, your quick questions, anything there at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Also, I do a film and TV podcast called the Slash Filmcast. Uh, we just did our summer movie wager wrap up. Uh, and then today we recorded an episode about Predator, uh, warning you not to see it. <laughs> oh no is so it bad oh it's terrible oh. it is absolutely terrible are they ever gonna make uh, another listen, good predator movie come on i don't know not not today sadly um <laughs> i encourage you to listen to us uh, rip it apart though because it's kind of fun um that's over at slash filmcast.com let us wrap the show up now with our parting gifts Kat Bailey, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah. Have you guys checked out Disenchantment yet? No, but I've heard good things. I'm very interested to check it out. I think that in typical kind of Futurama slash Simpsons fashion, it's off to not a slow start, but I think they're still finding their way into the characters and into the story. But I think the 
the baseline is really strong. And for the most part, I've been really enjoying it. I mean, if you're not familiar with it, it's Futurama, but in a fantasy world. And the star is a princess who is played by Abby Jacobson for Broad City. And she has a little devil <laughs> mentioning talking about devils on your shoulder. Uh, <laughs> they literally have a devil on her shoulder who's this demon who she has been cursed with, who is kind of telling her to do all these awful things. And then also Elfo, who is from the land of sweetness and nice and is charmingly naive about everything. And they go on adventures and it is funny. And you're kind of typical Futurami kind of way. It's on Netflix. I've been watching it and it's just a nice it's a really nice show to just kind of chill out to and and watch and uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops because i think it has a really strong foundation i just want to see like how it kind of grows and matures very cool that is disenchantment on netflix christian how about you got a parting gift yeah, I'm uh, very impressed with how DC Universe, like they're all access, which is a different, but you know, their subscription online streaming service. Uh, it's not without its bumps along the way. I don't think its comics back catalog is, is fleshed out all that well. And its reader has some quirks that I think need to be ironed out for um, uh, device viewing, phone viewing and stuff like that. But for launching, and I, I just paid the upfront year thing. It was like a discount, and I got three extra months. It ended up being like, I don't know, four bucks a month for 15 months, something like that. I'm very happy with it, assuming it continues to iterate and improve along the way. But having Batman the Animated Series, Superman, Justice League, Teen Titans, all of those amazing DC animated shows available and high-quality streaming on all of my devices has made me a happy camper. So hopefully hearing Dick Grayson cuss out Batman uh, next <laughs> month doesn't sour me on the proposition. But so far, um, I really like it. And there's a, there's a lot of content there where if you like those old DC shows, those animated shows especially, I, I would recommend check it out. At least try it for a month and see if you like it. I was excited to show my daughters. I was like, oh, yes, I'm going to watch some animated series with them. So I watched the very first episode of the first season, Man Bat, by myself just late one night. And I was like, oh, my daughters are still too young. That It's a serious show, man. Like, doesn't... The episode where punches. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy team up in Batman the Animated Series, Chef's Kiss. Great episode. Great episode. Yeah. Uh, maybe um, great uh, episode with lady protagonists uh, who are out in the town wreaking mayhem. Great. Yeah, it's a great show. It holds up. So I'm watching it via DC Universe, the app subscription servicing that they have. Uh, check it out. We got a listener-suggested parting gift. Uh, this was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Chris with a K, who says, Hi, guys. Love the show. Been listening to you for many, many years now. I have a parting gift to share with you and your audience. Homemade pickles. What? They are so easy to make, and they taste infinitely better than the jars you buy on store shelves. The basic recipe calls for water, vinegar, dill, garlic, mustard seed, and, of course, cucumbers. Sugar is optional, depending on your taste. It's easy to get creative and drop other vegetables in the jar, too. I love adding super hot peppers like Maruga scorpions or Trinidad seven pots to kick up the heat. Happy pickling! I love this one. I love this one. I would never think to make my own pickles, but now I want to try it. It's wonderful, and I love pickles, and I am going to go and jar some pickles right now. <laughs> I do. I also love pickles. Uh, I love that Chris pickles his own pickles. How many pickles can he uh, – whatever. Uh, but yes, awesome. Thank you. If you want to have your uh, uh, your 
parting gift on our show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Mine is uh, on the comic book tip as well. Final, uh, Fantastic Four. I almost said Final Fantasy. <laughs> so I wrote FF here. Fantastic Four is back. Oh, I love the FF. And uh, they've had a rocky history of late, but Dan Slott and Sarah Pacelli are back with uh, two epi- uh, two issues out so far. And um, it, it it's very promising. I'm very excited for uh, Fantastic Four to regain their place, their rightful place in the Marvel Universe as a, a premier book. Um, it's one that I loved growing up. Walt Simonson's run is precious to me, is near perfect. Uh, and I'm excited. I love Sarah Pacelli's, I think it's Pacelli or Pacelli. I think it's Pacelli. Um, I love her art, have loved it for a long time. And uh, I'm excited to see where this series goes. So check it out. Final, uh, I keep saying Final Fantasy. Fantastic Four is back. So check it out. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Kat Bailey and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our chat rooms, the people hanging out with us in real time as we record. We appreciate you guys making the show better by being with us. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L, Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those cool bumpers. And thanks to each and every one of you that downloads the show. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.